Catch up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com. I have my guest right here with me and we're talking and delving into the world of startups and VCs and see what they're about. But first, let's see what's happening in Africa. So, Africa is really cared to be enormously fertile ground for tech entrepreneurs and uh, VCs. According to data, 90% of tech startup fails in general, 75% of VC-funded startup fails, and only 50% of startups will make it past their fifth year. I remember just how so many startups just park in their third year. They're like, I'm not doing business again. The solution that they're offering, they just go with everything, and it seems like we have to start looking for the next startup that is going to help us even businesses entrepreneurs doing the same thing so how can we manage this risk that they face because when you look at the african economy i mean there's a lot of things that businesses face from operational and financial services the volatility of the markets economic conditions and also looking at commodity and interest rates fluctuating so i get to talk about this with my guest today who is right here with me good afternoon Hello. Afternoon, Bookie. Good afternoon. Pleasure so my guest is Mr. Silvanus Eneche. Uh, I usually just like for my guests to talk about themselves so it doesn't look like I'm not giving you all your flowers. So let's go with uh, t- introducing yourself to us. Okay. Good afternoon to our guests and I'm happy being here. My name is Silvanus Eneche. I um, currently work as the Chief Risk Officer of Wema Bank. I'm a pharmacist by training, but I found myself in the financial sector. Uh, so I guess that's a summary about who I am. That's Thank short. You. That's short. But I picked one thing. You said you transitioned from pharmacy into the financial sector. So how was it? Um, just taking you back a bit to finding your way into this uh, old financial sector. How was it transitioning as a pharmacist to becoming a financial expert? Okay, um, a little bit of my story. Um, I started off my career in pharmaceutical sales and subsequently went to pharmaceutical manufacturing. Uh, but the way banking is and finance in general is that you'll find out that uh, there are people from different fields there uh, simply because um, as a financier, if you're funding, say, an Greek partner, you also want somebody that understands that business and is in- able to interpret it. Uh, coming into banking, I came into a bank that was looking to build up his skills with regards to funding manufacturers. And since I was working in pharmaceutical manufacturing at that point in time, I found my way into the banking sector to address that particular segment. It's in the same vein that you'll find today that a lot of people in tech are also, quote unquote, struggling that banking and financial services sector because where there is a need, you'll find resources that can match that need. So I also see a lot of people in tech, either in terms of tech delivery or even in terms of product delivery that have also made that crossover to the banking sector. So how long was this crossover? How long has it been for? (laughs) Long enough. (laughs) I've been in the banking sector now for close to 20 years 20 years that's two decades that's a long time yes, yes, I'm, I'm sure your eyes have seen things so hey we have seen things <laughs> <laughs> the proverb you know there's just this african proverb where they say what the elders can see standing up the child will need to climb a tree 
just because of time and experiences have made you see things. That's why I have to say your eyes must have seen things. Looking at this over two decades in the financial industry, so what are some of the trends that you've actually observed is quite prevalent um, over the course of time, despite the systemic uh, change or approach to things? Okay, um, thank you, Buki. And I think maybe in order to bring it home to our topic for today, I would just say over the course of my career, talking to startups, talking to small and medium enterprises, what you see is that there's a significant financial risk that they carry. And this is because of our unique circumstances. Um, You know, a lot of people start business, they have an idea and they just jump right into it. A number of times they do not sit back to do a proper assessment of what their business would be like, what they're planning to do, where their markets would be, how they will target that market, how they will fund their operations. So um, as I always say in in Nigeria, our key on the line theory is you go better. Mm-hmm. So they start and they believe you go better, you know they do not do a proper assessment. So I think that's the first thing that I've noticed in our environment. Of course, we also know that our environment is very, very volatile. Um, So there's this new trend that the first world, they call VUCA, you know, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous environment. But it's always been there with us and perhaps nowhere more so than in Africa and Nigeria specifically. Um, we see a lot of things just springing up at us. And a lot of times, there are some of those things you cannot plan for. But frankly, in a number of cases, you should also sit down and set up your plan to take cognizance of the possibility of hiccups. And then you have contingency plans mm-hmm. that will deal with those hiccups. I, like I hope I didn't ramble. No, no, I, I like the direction we're going towards because uh, I was looking to ask you later that some of the strategies that could be employed to actually mitigate some of this uh, risk. You talked about the financial risk and also pro- ma- not making proper assessment and, of course, funding operation. So what are the strategies that can actually be put in place to uh, manage all of these risk factors? Thanks for that question, Buki. There's a process around it. But this process, of course, starts with sitting down and actually wrapping your head around the kind of business you want to go into. So you want to look at all the risks associated with your cash flow, how you're going to manage your creditors, the investments you're making, how you're going to manage that. Um, Are there also external factors that you have to deal with? Your market conditions, regulations, government policies. And then, of course, once you do that, you develop a risk management plan. So my the benefit is that I've been in risk management for a while and what I've seen is that a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of startups do not consider the various risks. There's a lot of optimism when you're going into or starting up a business. All you see is the opportunities. You just see the potential in front of you and a lot of people do not sit back and say to themselves, what if you know and that what if is very important because it helps you to plan what you can do um so once you have identified the potential financial risks you can now develop a plan to mitigate those risks or to manage them effectively 
And of course, um, some of this could be, there are several risk management things you could do. Some of the risks you avoid, some of them you accept that risk, but you now look to either insure it. So if, for instance, you start up a business that you have, you buy an Uber or two and you put them on the road, I mean, it will be foolhardy if you do not insure those vehicles against loss, theft, or accidents, you know? So there are a number of risk management techniques that you can employ. I'm also, one of the other risks that is prevalent is the fact that you also have startups that do not plan their cash flow effectively. So it is quite often the case that you start your business and before you know it, either you are in a cash crunch or all of a sudden you do not have the, the funding to make payments uh, that you need to make to keep that business going. And I think we'll discuss a bit of that later on. But yes, indeed, developing a risk management plan is perhaps one of the first things you need to do to understand what the various risks are, primarily financial risks, and you ensure that you mitigate that. If it's also, some of that financial risk should, could also come from the point of your revenue streams, you know. So if you are dealing in a particular market, what happens if that market dries up? And let me give you a clear example. Okay. A customer of ours started business. He was going to be doing business in one of the federal universities. Good idea. Um, set up the business. And as soon as he did, the ASU strike started. That effectively killed the business. He had a particular target market. So in that kind of case, what do you do? You need to have an understanding with either your suppliers of funding or your business to ensure that you restructure your repayments and also to find a way around managing your operations until your revenue streams come back up. So yes, there are a number of risk management things you need to do, but some of it also it's about if this customer has sat down and asked himself, what if? But he never expected it, you know? So that's that's just to give you an example of some of the things you need to do. I mean, some, some of these risks are just like the weather. You, you actually uh, forecast a particular weather situation and before you know it, things just change and it begins to rain. And uh, a couple of them, this is the reason why we decided to have this conversation because lately in the news, a couple of startups are backing up because they're not able to, like you mentioned, keep the cash flow uh, running. And some of them, after being able to raise seed funds through a series a or series b you find out that they put out a press statement that they can't they can't keep this going because the money is just not enough to go around anymore and some of them usually are averse to some risk that is beyond cash flow so i'm just looking beyond cash flow now what are some of other risks because uh, i remember companies getting sued for some actions like maybe harassment, maybe the way they treated their staffs. Are these also risks that can potentially uh, bring down companies, organizations, startups, and businesses? Thanks, Buki. Um, I think, indeed, there are significant risks that pay, face businesses in general and not just startups. Mm -hmm. uh, because I can assure you that as much as you can look at some of these operational risks in startups it's even more prevalent in larger organizations because there you also have issues like compliance risk you have issues around the human resources 
you just mentioned one a company being sued for harassment and not whatnot it's for a startup or a founder to sit down and identify the fact that these are potential issues and that could guide their behavior you know like i said earlier on with regards to startups perhaps the single most important thing is that cash flow risk you know but you can mitigate it by doing a couple of things and one of those things is taking note of your expenses keeping accurate financial records a number of startups they start it like a hobby there's no rhyme or reason it just feels fun you know and once you decide that this is going to be a business you need to keep track of all those things it also helps you in terms of managing your relationship with your investors you know being able to continue to raise capital or grow the business sometimes depends on you proving to people that the funding that you had raised prior mm-hmm. had been expended accordingly. Also, what we find is that a number of startups, you get into this space and you understand the space, you understand the business, but you do not seek financial advice in the other areas that you are not strong in. So, for instance, you do not get an accountant. You just run the business like cash in, cash out. You do not keep records. So, these are ultimately some of the issues that could affect startups significantly. With regards to the human resource angle, of course, when you look at some of the risks, um, (laughs) you know, the key thing is that startups, when you come up, you are facing, in a number of cases, you are going into a field that if there's nobody even working there there are already established companies with huge war chests that if they see an opportunity that you have brought to the fore they could go after it you understand what i'm saying so these companies could actually be better established better funded and you are competing with them for the same human resource what this means is that you are at the risk of losing your staff easily so staff retention is always a challenge with startups of course also when you try to manage your cash flow it could be that compensation so your compensation might not be as competitive as that of i mean if you are say starting up a we're in the tech space you're starting up a search engine can you compete with a google for instance in terms of benefits and compensation so maybe what you're selling to your staff in that case is okay uh, you can get a share of the pie or you can be part owners of this business and let's grow it together so yeah some of those are major challenges in a number of cases also when startups come up um, they are starting in a field that is not is novel for instance they are addressing a problem that is unique and so they are trying to bring in new thinking around it that new thinking could go could fly in the face of existing regulation Mm. so how do you address that so it also means you have to understand your business be ready to defend it and speak to the regulator engage and show them that what you're doing is not harmful to the consumer or deleterious to the system so indeed there are a number of challenges but all of it revolves around understanding your business getting the required advice and then of course a bit of luck, I think, also works. You believe in luck. <laughs> yes, I do. 
Okay. From what you've just said, I heard a couple of things like having the right team in place because one person cannot run uh, the business like you talked about, just um, just taking account of the financial inflow and outflow. And of course, you talked about competition and collaboration and partnership. So I'm bringing this to my next question. So having the right team in place, which is always good for people, means that they have to select down to people they really need because a lot of these tech companies that you see last year there were a lot of layoffs because companies were starting to reduce their staff force and all of that so does this mean that the team they actually put in place was not right enough or their financial accounts was not buoyant enough to afford these people and keep them in work okay there there's a, a number of issues and one of it is um like i told you earlier on mm-hmm. an entrepreneur is usually very very optimistic so all they see are the potentials and in a number of cases we see startups blow up and grow faster than they can actually manage is that a bad uh, thing to grow uh, to grow too fast yes of course so you need to measure your growth and to be sure that you are not <laughs> in banking what we call over trading you know mm. so you are not growing faster than you can manage so in the case of some of the existing businesses of course you spoke about the layoffs mm. it's just the fact that the nature of the business changed when the pandemic hit quite a number of tech delivery companies saw their businesses scale significantly but of course as things started to change again the need for some of those resources reduced and of course a business has to be nimble enough to know that if you are overstaffed you have to cut that staffing also with regards to funding you have to and expenses so some of the staff that they had recruited at the peak of the demand they found it was now excess to requirement and you you just have to be honest and find a way to manage that so i think that's probably explains why there were those layoffs you spoke about the need to recruit people that share that vision and i think part of the most important thing for a startup to do at the uh, start of their journey is to ensure that they recruit right and that means that you have to be very careful about the people you bring in through the door they have to share the vision they are, and you also have to be fair to them so you have to ensure that it's not that a founder is enjoying himself while everybody else is making sacrifices so there are quite a number of human resource issues to deal with uh, but i think in you in recruitment you have to be very very careful about who you bring in through the door all right uh, well said well said i'm just going to move to the next thing we, we've been talking about startups and all of the entrepreneurs angle let's look at the vcs i mean these people funding this uh, businesses uh, from idea to reality what would you advise them to look into in terms of risk management and in terms of their investment also because some of these startup when they pack up there's really nothing that they can do about the money that was invested into into the idea tough one Uh, you know i spoke earlier on about some luck a lot of vcs what they invest is one the idea mm-hmm. and two the promoter these are two different things you know the idea itself could be great but the promoter he needs to have the right mindset and even in having the right mindset a vc needs to also be involved and understand what they are getting involved in part of it is also that you have to make sure that 
as you fund, you are able to monitor what your investee company is doing and they, they need to keep records. So in a number of cases, what you find out is that um, the VCs, they have representation on the board of these companies. So now how effective that representation is, is another question. So they need to have a seat on the board to also sure that these companies are effectively uh, supervised where there need to be board meetings. So they have to put structure around it. They need to understand the business. They need to have those ensure that those board meetings happen and those the company they are looking at, they are able to review their activities at least on a quarterly basis. The last thing, of course, is also that VC firms should not just look at it that I'm investing my money and now I want to return. A number of cases also is that they will also need to help to grow that potential to allow the investee company have access to their own network so that if there are things that they need to do to get advice, for instance, they could do that. So yeah, VCs in Nigeria, they do, there are a number of them that are there, but I think that there's a lot more they can do even with in terms of the advice that they give their investee companies. And off the top of my head, I think um, in Nigeria, we have VCs like Green Tree Investment, yeah. Greenhouse Capital, you know, there's another called Singularity Investment. So, yes, there are VCs that are, exist in Nigeria, but again, um, I think n- not enough of them get involved in the financial advisory part of the business that they invest in. Okay, so I'm just going to take this as a layman question because uh, coming into the tech space, I notice a lot of things that are not so clear to people, especially those, like you said, are having this idea and thinking that, okay, this idea can fly. So let me take it to the bank. So they approach the traditional banking system with their ideas, hoping to get maybe loans. Uh, Now we talk about it in terms of seed funds, raising seed funds. So what makes the difference between uh, traditional banks supporting a growth growing business or a growing enterprise versus the VC actually funding these startups? Okay. Traditional banks believe in established cash flow. I'm going to leave it, keep it as simple as possible. <laughs> yes, please. They believe in established cash flow. Uh, oftentimes, that potential we see in our story. What we want to see is what have you done? And of course, um, some part of it also is regulatory. There's regulation against granting unsecured loans. Most of the time when a startup is just starting off, they do not have collateral, for instance, to give a bank. So they do not have some property worth a hundred or two hundred million to say this is the collateral to secure the loan I want to take. What they just have is an idea and a potential cash flow over the next couple of years. So um, banks rarely, if ever, fund greenfields however if you have your seed funding and you've started and there's that evidence of this is where the market is going you are likely to be able to get a bank that will now support you in your growth phase the other thing again is that with a number of startups they do not keep appropriate records so um, a startup might have started business and they do not have a schedule of all the expenses and where the revenues are coming through and the final thing i mean well this relates possibly most to the smes 
in terms of revenues in a case where you buy and sell and some people actually do this they would do their business on a cash basis and some of that cash does not go through the banking system and so it is hard to prove that i actually have these revenue streams so uh i would say that the biggest difference and the reason why a number of startups would usually go to the vcs and the crowdfunding sites and whatever would be because to get a bank loan it's a little bit more tighter with regards to the requirements and also of course the collateral requirements so that's it i mean i'm just going to break it down the way i kind of understand it it's like when you go to ask your parents for like some change and they have to ask you like give me the list of where this money is going to and how you're going to spend it versus when you're going to ask like your big bros or your uncle for money and they can easily just swipe out their wallet and just give it to you so that makes the difference between the traditional banking system and the vc's firm actually this last two that you have mentioned they are all vcs because <laughs> your, parents, your parents will not ask you for collateral will they so <laughs> Also, the difference is that it depends on the level of inquisitiveness of Mm -hmm. whoever you've gone to approach for funding. Some would want to see exactly what you're going to do with it. And of course, in a number of cases, the potential that people are investing in is that of the promoter. So you'll find out that there are some people that once they set up a business, um, you have people flocking to fund that venture. Whilst in some cases, if you do not have any record of wins under your belt, you have difficulty. And also the, for the VCs, they, it's also important for them for their own records, in term, their own track record. Because if there is a VC that has funded a number of organizations that have now become winners, they are more likely than not to attract investors. Remember, these VC companies also have investors that provide the capital that they actually lend out. Yeah, I, I like the the fact that you just made this last point because I'm um, I'm looking at the Silicon Valley situation and now there are talks that these investors are looking to come into the black owned banks. So, what would be your advice to let's say the government policy makers basically about our black owned bank? Well, my advice is that um, in all cases they have to do their due diligence. Um, they would need to work with local partners that understand the local economy and the nuances. Mm-hmm. Um, it is clear that, yeah, I mean, Africa remains fertile ground. And, you know, in places where you have significant problems, there's there are also significant opportunities. And I think that's one of the key things about Africa, that we continue to have some issues that can be resolved either by putting a better process in place or a better product. So that market, that environment for success still exists here in Africa and the potentials are significant. So for these people that want to come into the African market, it's that you need to understand there are also sociocultural nuances in terms of the way people treat financing and their understanding of what they're doing, you know. So I will give you an example. Some of the opportunities for startups and SMEs to acquire funding that have been set up. Some of the SMEs, because of our cultural nuances, 
depending on where they get this money from, they tend to see it as uh, their own share of the national cake. So <laughs> you have to be wary of such things, you know. So, but yes, I think um, there's an opportunity there um, if they work closely with a local partner. Okay. I just have two more questions before we wrap this up. Looking at the, the regulation, I talked about the government policy makers and I think it was last month they released a circular around the open banking new policy. So what do you think about it? Is this a good move in the right direction for the financial sector? And just looking at how the fintech also has been increasing and blooming over time. Okay, I think it's a significant opportunity for the banking sector. What it will lead to is innovation. It will also be better ultimately for the customer. A lot of people don't understand what the open banking is all about. So that's leading to some apprehension. But my understanding is that it allows the customer primarily to dictate how information can be used by various service providers that can plug into that system so what it will allow is that for instance if i want to borrow money from a bank that i do not work in there could be apis that will allow that bank to see my transactions across all the various banks undertake a risk assessment and then make a choice of whether to give me that funding or not um so it's not just that okay if i have my track record with xyz bank is only xyz bank that is privy to that so it's across the banks it just makes things more open and gives you the opportunity to offer service across across different areas Mm. so yeah there are opportunities there yes it will lead to also competition from the fintechs but it's left to be seen with regards to open banking if uh, that platform will be available for fintechs to also plug in because you know one of the challenges between the fintechs and the traditional banks is that whilst the traditional banks have um, significant regulatory frameworks a lot of times the fintechs actually operate with less regulation yes it means that they are more nimble from time to time it also means that there is also potential for abuse in some cases very well said thank you so much for all of this information you've been sharing with us but before i let you go i'd like to ask you one question i usually ask my guests so what's your unpopular opinion about technology especially in africa okay that was a curveball i don't i don't have i'm I'm very very uh, i i believe that technology can solve a number of our problems but i also think that perhaps in africa (laughs) the way we've plugged into it some of us uh, especially the younger generation uh perhaps it's making them lazy hmm? oh that, so that's that might you be, that, that might be unpopular so and technology makes this generation lazy have you noticed yeah. that maybe at your office or in your workspace that maybe, people are just maybe maybe in my personal space um you find the young ones these days using uh, their ps and that's all they do all day. They're on Instagram, they're on TikTok, they're on Snapchat, and it can consume their whole day. And you find even with regards to the spoken word, uh, writing, they're using acronyms, they're using, some of them cannot spell any longer. So yes, I think it might be unpopular, but technology is making the younger ones lazy. 
Wow. I mean, just looking at when you said the acronyms, I also have a, couple, a picture of people sending me GM as good morning. And I'm like, can you just stop it? The words are free. <laughs> <laughs> But this is actually a good angle to look at. No, nobody has given me this response before, so I like it. So what are the technology tools that are actually helping you improve your, your life, your day-to-day running? Just looking at how you get involved with things, with business, with family, with whatever aspect of your life. So what are the tech tools that you utilize mostly? Well, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is that um, tools like the internet, for instance, um, you can find practically anything. So yes, it can be used for good or it can be used for bad. You could be on the internet and watching a YouTube video that is um, what you that is auto loading, and you could be on there for like hours, or you could use it to study a course. You know, a free or unpaid course that will improve your knowledge and your skills. You can use it to look for specific um, answers in given places. So there are a number of benefits. But also at the same time, you also see that the potential for distraction is very high. Um, You keep emphasizing on distraction, (laughs) laziness, distraction. Of course, other other tools that I use regularly, of Mm -hmm. course, will be the the Office Suite, the Microsoft Office Suite. So yeah, I'm not a very very. uh, I don't have extensive tool set, but yes, I think that helps. There's something I found recently on microsoft word the dictation function i mean that works wonderfully for me because i like to write longhand and after you've written longhand you don't want to also have to go through the pain of typing out so what i do is when i do my reading i write longhand and then i dictate it to the computer and it types it out for me so that's been excellent yeah I like that. I like the fact that the language prediction has helped you to actually simplify your longhand process of writing on paper and having to transcribe and put it up on on the system. That's actually good. So are there other potential risks that you look at aside distractions and laziness that uh, technology has posed into the society? Well, I guess the one that is at the forefront now is the rise of AI and the fact that at some point you can take over the world. So there are ethical issues around there, but uh, I think I'm not qualified to debate those issues. It's just that I'm aware that those things are being discussed now. So, yeah. So you have a little bit of skepticism in you towards artificial intelligence. I think that um, (laughs) if it is allowed to grow unbridled, Mm -hmm. there could be issues later on. Yes. Okay. Thank you so much for your time on the show. I really appreciate squeezing out this time for us and attending to some of our questions. I'm sure from the audience, there will be people who are like, oh, I'm going to look into a couple of things you've mentioned. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us at Africa Tech Radio. Thank you for having me. Okay. So looking at network and mentorship, are you open to giving advice to people and uh, let me first of all ask that you open to advising people maybe on how to adverse, uh, mitigate this risk of course i'm always available and what i would do is after the show i'll drop my details with you you can just give us maybe it's an email if it's a social media handle that they can link up with you yeah my my email address will be s-e-n-e-c-h-e at yahoo.com mm-hmm reach me on that uh, and i check it regularly so 
I will always respond to any messages I get. Thank you. Thank you so much. Do have yourself a wonderful holiday. Thank you. And have a blessed day also. Thank you. Thank you so much. And yes, guys, we've been talking to Mr. Sylvanus Eniche of Wema Bank. He's the chief risk officer. And he has given us some insights to look at in terms of startups. And this is looking at their investment and looking at how their business is growing and how they can surpass and cross across these hurdles of risk that could be seen or unforeseen. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to catch up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com.